Welcome back to A Virtual View. Today is a very special episode where I am joined by two of my colleagues here at the UMTRC, Jessica Devine and Luke Wortley. Good morning, guys. Good morning. Hi, everyone. If those in our audience aren't quite as familiar with you as they are with me, could you go ahead and introduce yourselves real quick? And we'll start with you, Jessica. I'm Jessica. I've been with the UMTRC for about three years. I graduated from Purdue University and currently serve as the data coordinator for UMTRC. How about you, Luke? My name is Luke Wortley. I'm the current director of the Upper Midwest Telehealth Resource Center. Um, this is my second stint with the program. I was here a few years ago under both Becky Sanders' leadership and Cam Hilt's leadership as a coordinator. I've been with our parent organization, the Indiana Rural Health Association, for nearly eight years now. That's uh, that's kind of all I, I have to say. I think I introduced myself pretty thoroughly the last time I was on the podcast. Yeah, I was going to say, it hasn't been super long since you were on. And you both have the distinctive honor of being Virtual View alums, so welcome back. <laughs> Glad to be back. So let's talk a little bit about next year at the UMTRC. So it's still 2023 when we're recording this, but it will be 2024 when this comes out. So let's talk a little bit about what both of you want to accomplish next year with the UMTRC. I suppose we did talk about this a little bit earlier in the year, but for me, I think now that I've been in the role for almost six months, I'm I'm coming around to the idea that our bread and butter as being a technical assistance provider is still valuable, um, potentially not necessarily what our core constituency is going to be looking for in the future. I think it'll be interesting to see how all of the different funding mechanisms even sort themselves out to see kind of what our legislative aims are as a program from the federal level all the way on down. So I think one of the things that I want to try to do is really continue what we started this year, which is getting back out into the community after the public health emergency was rescinded and talking to people face to face, making sure people know that we're still around and there to help, um, but trying to find where we can provide value, not necessarily just from answering questions, but figuring out how our role in conjunction with other people who are expanding their digital footprint like how those two things can synergize and then ultimately try to find ways to where maybe we can have more direct impact on chronically underserved populations, particularly in rural communities, as well as some of our you know most vulnerable folks in our uh, urban centers as well. I do like that you mentioned getting out there in the community because that is something that I have found is one, my favorite part of uh, my role here as the program coordinator at the UMTRC, but also one of the most valuable, because I think you see so much more when you're out there in the community talking to people, explaining how they can get connected with telehealth, with digital health, um, how there are certain barriers that you can help them overcome. So yeah, I, I'm really glad that that's sort of the, the priorities that you want to look at next year, because those are also things that I'm really excited about tackling. And you mentioned underserved populations as well. And I am always a big proponent for telehealth being a great tool for access. So I'm looking forward to that too. So uh, Jessica, what are, what are you thinking uh, are going to be priorities you want to make sure the UMTRC tackles in the next year? Well, in that vein of gathering with 
the variety of populations and stakeholders involved with telehealth really being a convening space for people to be able to come to us with their questions and be able to walk away with answers that they're able to give to their own teammates and the people that they're interacting with so that we can carry on with that legacy, as Luke mentioned, of answering technical assistance questions in a way that is capitalizing on technology available to disseminate that information and really making sure that the entire region is supported and uplifted in the work that they are doing in their own ways to be able to have a resource they can come to um, in us, no matter what they're facing. The idea of us serving as a convening space is something that I think is so vital because we are one of the, (laughs) shall I say, a few places that do or have existed since before the COVID-19 pandemic with like a specialization in telehealth. So there is the groundwork there and the expertise and the connections, not just with us, but with our our partner TRCs um, that maybe don't exist in some of these places that have only been around for a year or two years since the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic. So we're looking at this from a different angle, I think. Yeah, I can I can definitely see that. And, you know, I've uh, I've been to a few events now in the director capacity and you just see, I think, familiarity with digital health broadly is so pervasive now. Um, you know, even among uh, folks who I think would still consider themselves self-described skeptics, um, you know, <laughs> there's still just such a, it, it's become so ubiquitous, right? I mean, at least in the the circles that we run in, right? Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, everybody who could benefit from its use is always, you know, able to access it in, in a way that, that works for them. I think one of the things that also struck me, and this is perhaps maybe a springboard to a totally different topic or a different podcast altogether, <laughs> but I was at the American Public Health Association event in Atlanta this year. I was talking to a physician who actually happened to stop by the booth and was from Brownsburg, Indiana here. We got to talking and somebody had made a comment coming up to the booth in some other capacity from some other organization, right? And they had they they made a comment about efficiency, and this guy leans over to me. He says, "Hey, I'll tell you a secret. Healthcare is not about efficiency." And I don't know why that just it really it really struck me um, because I think when we think about digital health broadly, I think we think about it in those terms, right? And, and the idea right. of increasing efficiency, giving providers a mechanism to do less paperwork so they can do more with their patients. And I am curious how we are going to handle that as a field, but then as a TA provider, you know, also trying to caution people to say like, yes, because like, I don't know why that, that comment struck me so forcefully. It's not, it's not about efficiency. It's about healing people. Uh, Right. So, um, you know, it's one of those things as, as technology continues to improve, as things get more and more complex from a hardware and software perspective, you know, that doesn't necessarily just mean crank through more patients in a day. So I think it'll be interesting to see how our roles change in that environment and then how we can maybe spread that message too. That's really interesting. And I'll be honest, it's not a perspective I had thought of, but it's ultimately a correct one. And there's more discussion now about patient-centered healthcare and like patient-focused healthcare. And I think that goes along with it. But when 
most people are thinking about that. They're not thinking of how do I make this the best experience possible for a patient? How do I give them the best possible care? It's how do I get through the most patients in the day because we have a provider shortage and we're doing what we can to get through this this large number of people who are particularly in rural areas who are generally speaking poorer, older, and sicker. So yeah, I think there needs to be a balance between looking at, okay, we do have to keep the reality of our situation in mind, but also we have to keep in mind that this shouldn't just be about raw numbers. This should be about making sure that people are getting the best care experience that they can. So I like that you bring up that point. And something else that you had mentioned earlier that I wanted to touch on about how there are a larger number of providers and professionals in this space now who do have familiarity with digital health and telehealth. I do think that that's true, but I also think that familiarity doesn't necessarily equal understanding. Just because people are aware that telehealth is out there, as my uh, grandmother always said, going to the doctor on the computer, it's not the same as them understanding what can this do for me? What gaps can this fill in my community and my practice if I'm a provider? So yeah, so I think there's definitely still going to be a space for people like us and other telehealth resource centers around the country because there is increased familiarity with telehealth. There is increased awareness. There isn't necessarily increased understanding. Despite the fact that everybody in the telehealth world that you know we sort of occupy, the niches that we find ourselves crawling into, you know, they've all been familiar and you know, they've been telehealth experts for 15 plus years, right? And yeah, to us, that seems like a long time. But in the grand, like sort of arc of healthcare, that's, <laughs> that's, that's a nanosecond, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. we're still figuring out a lot is all I'm kind of trying to, trying to get at. And when I say provide value, you know, I think it's like, let's say we have a month where we're getting fewer questions on the transom right? You know, how are we still able to reach constituents, figure out ways, you know, as Jessica was talking about, find ways to get them together and ultimately like try to not just provide education, but really help, help try to alleviate barriers. Right. Um, right. At least that's, that's what I'm thinking. Right. And that ultimately should be our goal. I a hundred percent agree, but that ties into as sort of our next topic I wanted to make sure that we hit on today pretty well. The future of telehealth in general, not just the TRCs. So you mentioned that these places have been a, a, like in the telehealth space for like 15 years, which is like a nanosecond in uh, terms of healthcare. But when you look at how quickly technology is expanding and changing and all of this stuff, like just because you were an expert in this space, like, I don't know, like a week ago, doesn't mean you're going to be next week if you're not making yourself aware of things because there's just been so many changes in telehealth technology and telehealth policy, all that good stuff. Yeah, I, I, I want to kick it over to Jessica here real quick. Um, Jessica mm-hmm. was uh, has been doing an extensive amount of legwork to try to contextualize some of the landscape regarding artificial intelligence. I know that some of our counterparts at the Technology Assessment Center, TTAC, as well as other directors of regional telehealth resource centers have been talking a lot about not just their own personal interest in artificial intelligence and the work groups that we all 
you know, serve on, but that some of their constituents and clients and partners and and folks that they serve are starting to ask about it now. So maybe, maybe maybe Jessica can give us the Cliff Notes version on the lay of the land from a technological standpoint. Yeah, I wanted to make sure that we touched on this because I know you did a a pretty great webinar on this recently. So if you could explain a little bit about how telehealth is increasingly becoming enmeshed with AI and what that means. Absolutely. And I think probably all of us hear about artificial intelligence sometimes feels like every meeting we're in, everywhere we go, um, because it certainly is the reality that it is becoming involved in so many aspects of our day-to-day life. And I think a lot of us were using it long before we realized that it was so prevalent in front of us um, in our workspaces. And so in that vein, and kind of tying in as well with this thought of familiarity is not necessarily always the same as awareness, that it is seemingly a buzzword in the telehealth space and in healthcare at large. And I think that as with many things, has so many opportunities, but also challenges in the sense that being familiar with artificial intelligence can look very different depending on what your field you're in and what you've done with it, whether you've ever been involved with development. I have a background that merged um, public health with engineering. And so in my mind, it's always fascinating to think about How is this being developed on the software side? What kinds of hardware are necessary for implementation? And something that is continually thought-provoking is considering how does that bridge with um, so many who have never been involved with development, which of course in our teamwork-based workspaces is an immense strength and pretty beautiful to have so many different um, backgrounds and expertise and knowledge sets that come together. But in that sense, I think in the coming year, there will be an ever more urgent call for people who have any sort of exposure to artificial intelligence to really be offering that insight and perspective, because sometimes the conversation can skew one way or another. There's rightfully a lot of concerns about the development of artificial intelligence and its use. And I think that is always well countered by people who can speak about the possibilities of it and what guardrails are necessary in order to make sure that's being developed in a way that isn't taking advantage of vulnerable populations, that is representing the populations to which the artificial intelligence products are being used, that are being um, developed with keeping in mind what we've mentioned earlier about healthcare is not that oriented for efficiency in that sense that quality of life and um, patient's goals for length of life can look very different from patient to patient, as well as the ability to do the things they want and enjoy the wellness that they're seeking in life. And so I think having that sort of recognition that there can be a variety of hopes and expectations with that can help give some direction to these conversations in the sense that Not everyone needs to have the same mindset or opinion or goals for artificial intelligence. And it's important to keep an open mind and open ears um, to be able to work together and make sure that um, we are supporting everyone and getting out there to talk with people who may not have previously been involved in these conversations. I know I personally am maybe looking forward is the wrong word, but I'm very interested to see how this 
develops from a regulation standpoint, because I know right now we are woefully behind when it comes to regulating AI and machine learning technology. So I would hope that in the next year or two, we do see more of this regulation around AI and its use being put forward, because I agree, it's such a useful technology, and I'm very excited to see where it goes. But I do think that you mentioned those guardrails, that those need to be put up as soon as possible, because we're already a little bit behind on this. Definitely. There are many different groups and governing authorities who can offer some guardrails if we, if we uh, want to continue with that analogy of um, keeping the direction on track and moving forward in a productive way. Yeah, and this brings us into uh, another topic I wanted to touch on, everybody's favorite, legislation. Uh, so <laughs> let's talk about that because in this year's position fee schedule, in the Consolidated Appropriations Act, all that good stuff, we've seen a lot of remaining in a holding pattern so far as telehealth goes. No sort of definitive conclusion on whether or not this is going to be something that's going to be a big part of our healthcare landscape going forward, if we want to revert back to pre-COVID regulations. So I'd just love to hear both of your perspective on what we think that's going to look like. And I, I'm aware that none of us have our crystal balls with us today, but it's always good, I think, to speculate a little bit and sort of try and prepare for, for what we think might happen. I think everybody sort of knows, despite the protestations of of a, a sort of vocal minority of of some local providers who who can't stand the 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 idea of you know administering care via telehealth. Um, <laughs> I think most people just kind of recognize this as a a bit of a Pandora's box situation. You can't you know stuff the genie back in the bottle, whatever the whatever the metaphor is that you want to use. Um, <laughs> So I, I don't think that like from a legislative perspective, I don't see anything sort of restricting access further. I guess I think that I think that's a pretty safe bet. As far as regulatory concerns, I expect to see more and more generation and pressure being put on legislators, especially at the state level, maybe to begin with, and then perhaps moving up into the federal government as well on credentialing, licensing, operating across state lines, some more compacts being more heavily populated. At least that seems to be the trend at the moment. In our region, at least, been, there's always a push for payer parity as well. But I, I'm not sure that we can reasonably expect that come 2024, maybe, but who knows in the future, uh, as you sort of already said. I think policy-wise, we're just we're going to continue to see incremental change just because that's you you had actually mentioned uh you know regulatory concerns surrounding artificial intelligence and i think you know when you have an apparatus that's as large as the united states government like it's it's just actually like on a sort of institutional level not fundamentally equipped to act quickly so right. um well i guess that's not true because we found out that we were able to act quite fast depending on your perspective at the onset of the pandemic, to given your, depending on your situation, your geography, uh, your work situation, all kinds of different things, right? But, you know, a lot of stuff changed pretty fast. Now that we are in a post-public health emergency world, I just find that, you know, we are 
just always kind of battling inertia. And so, and then uh, obviously funding is, is going to be the other major kind of branch of concern here because this sort of ties into the other topic we just got done leaving behind. But uh, I expect to see uh, uh, maybe one or two kind of raise eyebrow moments uh, in the private sector here. I just, I think there are too many vendors out there. There are too many solutions. There are too many platforms and this and that and bits and bobs and all these different things. And I totally expect a major player, huge system or a, uh, another, another entity to merge and find some kind of like big all in one. This is like, this is the package. This is how we're selling it. Like, and We've got like this expert team doing this, 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 and this on the technical side and this care team doing this. And I expect it to be, I expect it to make quite a big splash. And I, it will be interesting to see how our, you know, consumer protection agencies and, and all of these other things do look at those situations. At least that's that, from a legislative perspective in the next, I don't know, two to five years or so. I think that those are going to be the primary questions. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised on that just because telehealth, digital health, all that good stuff, it's taking up such so much oxygen in the room right now and such a big part of our healthcare landscape that, yeah, I, I do think that we're going to see some, shall we say, interesting developments in how those businesses, those private sectors continue to sort of cooperate with each other. Uh, because I know interoperability has become an issue when you're dealing with so many different different platforms, so many different sort of uh, healthcare solutions. So, so yeah, I think that's a, a really great point. Jessica, anything to add? I think interoperability will always be of such importance and will always be at the forefront because ultimately a lot of things can't run if they can't communicate with each other. And I know that has historically been kind of a lingering drag on innovation in the U.S. in the healthcare space in the sense that it's difficult to weigh protecting patient data and at the same time allowing innovation to um, pursue the goals of better outcomes for patients. And I think in the telehealth space in particular, that will continue to be of interest in the coming year with this mention of so many different players and so many vendors in the space. I think that will certainly be something to watch in the coming year. Yeah, no, I would definitely agree with that. So one thing that I think has been really interesting is the sort of shift in vocabulary from referring to this stuff as telehealth, uh, just specifically to talking about digital health more broadly. So Luke, could you talk a little bit more about that change and what that really means for those of us working in this space? Yeah, I mean, you know, for now, I, I would say you know, telehealth, telemedicine, digital health, e-health, what, you know, all of these things that 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 sort of swirl in the water, they're, they're largely used interchangeably, you know, because I think for a long time we distinguished you know, between the use of telemedicine and telehealth, that, you know, telehealth was sort of the, the broader term, whereas telemedicine was like the specific clinical application. And then I think everybody kind of just, they, they didn't see the need for the sort of artificial distinction when everybody functionally uses them in the same way. I think we're having a similar sort of linguistic uh, identity crisis in, in this way as well. But it is worth noting, I guess, that, you know, telehealth has expanded way beyond 
the scope of a video conferencing platform or a phone call. And I think that that's why you're going to see the expansion of the use of the term digital health to encompass all of those different aspects of it. You know, we're not talking just about having a an appointment with a provider. We're talking about real-time data collection and vital monitoring and all of these sensors and things that we wear. And, you know, we're we're talking about potentially, you know, full human anatomical monitoring 24-7 with direct communication to not only your primary care provider, if you have one, but potentially specialty practitioners as well, who might be managing, managing very specific aspects of a long-term disease or something like that. It's, it, it is just, it, like I said, it's beyond just a, an appointment at this point. So I think that that's why the vocabulary is starting to shift ever so subtly. Mm-hmm. Jessica, anything to add on that point? I would echo all those excellent points. I think that the changing landscape of who's involved has also contributed to this shift and that will be continuously um, of interest and I think of um, kind of a thing in motion in the coming year in terms of which voices get elevated the most in that conversation. Yeah, for sure. And I've been describing the period that we're in right now post-pandemic as a sort of period of transition, but it's become increasingly clear that we're not transitioning between stable state A and stable state B. We're just moving forward at this point. So I think we need to, as telehealth, digital health uh, professionals, people in this space, we sort of need to move away from the idea of, oh, we're transitioning into a new normal and sort of accept this idea of things are going to be developing pretty rapidly from this point forward. We're we're not going to see ourselves moving to the same sort of, okay, video conferencing, like doctor on the computer kind of thing. We're going to continue to reinvent how this kind of care is going to be used on a micro level, but on a macro level as well. So yeah, it's the old, um, it's the old Heraclitus quote, right? Um, No, (laughs) no man ever steps foot in the same river twice. It is not the same river and he is not the same man. Um, Right. Yeah. And I, and I do think um, accepting this sort of non-stasis as the stasis is, is perhaps a, a, a good perspective to have. Because I also, I, I keep coming back to this, you know, we, as, as, you know, digital health professionals, you know, we don't service anybody, you know, we don't provide, like, other than, you know, technical assistance, training, education, that kind of thing. You know, we're not seeing patients, but when we do talk to our providers who are having that direct impact and that sort of thing, you know, they're saying that it's not like it's this brave new world situation, right? You know, it, it, they just kind of, it we are amazingly adaptable as like a, an entire species and, and, and the rate of change that we experience even outside of this particular, uh, you know, discussion is almost always like kind of increasing, right? It's like entropy of the universe, right? It's like, it's like, it's like expanding at an ever increasing rate. Right. You know, and exactly. Yeah. And, but if you, if you stop to think about it too long, then like, yeah, you can get overwhelmed, but like getting, if you're, you know, if you stay in the moment, it, you can, you can sort of adapt to whatever the new normal is pretty quickly, I think. 
Yeah. Just hope that we're not the frog in the boiling water situation, I suppose. <laughs> and at the risk of getting too existential, I think that technology particularly is is where we see that uh, in this generation. We're all, air quotes, millennials. So we've all personally seen, or Jessica, are you a millennial or Gen Z? I am Gen Z. Oh, no. Okay. Well, we're all young millennials or old Gen Z. So we've grown up with this rapidly developing technology. Like we've seen our society go from having like razor flip phones to what we have now, like uh, chat GPT, like all of this stuff. And so I, I do think that we are built to sort of accept change and rapid development as a society. And we've seen that happen so much in the last uh, couple of decades. I think that that's all, I think that's all right on. I also, I, we, we, we're not giving enough credit, I think, to um, all generations having experienced a dramatic amount of change throughout the course of their lifetime, especially by relative comparison to like, if you think about, so as I was saying earlier, you know, the, the long arc of, of, of human history, much less particle physics, you know, but um, <laughs> uh, I, I think one of the things that's also changing for me is that as I continue to go to these events and conferences and convocations and stuff, and I, and I start talking to people, I think what's really interesting is to hear folks perspective on how digital health impacts people outside of an explicit clinical encounter in like a one discrete session. I think it'll be interesting to see how we can keep our ear to the ground and monitor how people might be talking about this in particular. Because I'm thinking, yeah, I think we know some of the optimal use cases for telehealth are clearly, you know, mental and behavioral health visits. We know that there's a lot of benefits to remote therapeutic and remote patient monitoring. We still cling to a hypothesis that chronic disease management and all these things are going to be major components of of digital health and telemedicine. And I think that they are, you know, reimbursement, regulation, legislation, reluctance, trust, all these things are, are barriers. And we've talked about these sort of, you know, ad nauseum. The other thing that I am interested in from a population and public health standpoint is how we are going to use the digital realm for messaging, communication, prevention, and then ultimately how we are going to transcend the the interesting paradox that digital health brings us, which is on one hand, we are trying to specifically serve underserved communities, marginalized groups, and geographically isolated citizens, right? And what that generally tends to mean <laughs> is that we are operating at a huge distance from each other, sometimes without a whole lot of local context and knowledge. And how are we how are we going to make that or how are we going to bridge that gap a little bit i suppose where we are recognizing that even if we are providing at a distance even if we are alleviating the barrier of geography even if we are trying to you know inject services where there would otherwise be none how are we reaching those most vulnerable among us who may still feel alienated not have access in the first place may have a significant language barrier might have a disability of some sort, you know, how, how are we, and then not only that, but then how are we meeting them where they are on their level with some kind of connection point to, to know that living in, I don't know, insert 
you know, Albuquerque, New Mexico, as a physician operating in Springfield, Illinois, what's the common ground here? And then if I am speaking with somebody or uh, English or limited English proficiency patient, how do we provide the best digital interaction in that space? And then continue to develop the relationship beyond that. Because I think this is one of the big things that I hear from providers all the time is, well, the best part about, uh, about practicing medicine is that I treat, I treat these people when they're young adults. I see them grow up. I see them have families. I treat their kids. You know? And then you know, they have this longstanding sort of relationship with the community as this, as this pillar when they op- engage in in-person care. And they don't feel they get that in the digital realm. But as we know, like things just keep moving that direction. So right. if that's the, if that's the flow, the water's going, how do we, how do we make physicians, you know, nurse practitioners, physicians, assistants, any kind of provider or just community-based organization who's using this kind of technology feel more comfortable engaging in their practice, prevent burnout, all these different things while also making sure that the patient gets the best experience. And I think that's a very interesting, larger societal question in some ways as well. How do we promote community and connection over digital tools when operating in a digital space? And I think that's something that's going to continue to be a question that we're going to have to address, not just as like a digital health community, but as a larger society, as these things continue to take up so much of public life. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's, there's just, there's going to be a lot of external stress factors that we have absolutely no idea are coming, you know, much in the way the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic was, um, you know, to the healthcare system. How is, and how are it's not the industry right how are the people who are engaging in the work whether that's a community based organization that's engaging in wraparound services and soft skill training for you know recently released inmates with a history of substance use disorder or you know somebody who's consulting digitally on a particular you know surgical procedure or whatever how are we going to respond to those yeah. i think that that's that's an interesting sort of larger question Oh, for sure. And I look forward to seeing how and if it will be answered. (laughs) Well, thank you both for hopping on today and joining me to talk about some things that I find very interesting. Uh, I look forward to working with you both in the next year and uh, seeing where the UMTRC goes. Absolutely. It'll be a good year. Hope everyone has a happy new year. Happy 2024. for listening to a virtual view. You can find more information about today's episode in the show notes below. If you would like to support our podcast, please rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform. Do you have any questions or topics you'd like us to discuss? If so, contact us at info at umtrc.org or through the form found in the show notes. Also, we'd like to give a special thanks to our editor, Tristan Yoder. Finally, a special thanks to the Health Resources and Service Administration, also known as HRSA. 
Our podcast series, A Virtual View, is sponsored in part by HRSA's Telehealth Resource Center program, which is under HRSA's Office of the Administrator and the Office for the Advancement of Telehealth. The content and conclusions of this podcast are those of the UMTRC and should not be construed as the official policy of or the position of, nor should any endorsements be inferred by HRSA, HHS, or the U.S. government. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Thank you.